Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. Amen. I can say that I've already blessed. Can you believe that I hang out with these folks every week? This is my family. I'm so glad for my family. We're all musical. They sounded beautifully. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your gift of music with us this Christmas season. (laughs) In 1963, Edward Lorenz presented a hypothesis to the New York Academy of Science. His theory simply stated that a butterfly can flap its wings and set molecules of air in motion, which would move other molecules in air of air, in turn moving more molecules of air, eventually capable of starting a hurricane on the other side of the planet. And Lorenz and his idea was laughed at at the end of that convention. What he had proposed was for them ridiculous, preposterous, but it was a fascinating idea. And because it was so fascinating, the so-called butterfly effect became a staple of science fiction books and movies for decades. So, imagine the scientific community's surprise and shock more than 30 years later after the possibility was introduced when physics professors from colleges and universities across the globe came to the conclusion that the butterfly effect was authentic, accurate, and viable. Soon after, it was given the status of a law in physics. It's called the law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions. My sermon title today, The Day That Changed the World and the One Who Caused It to Happen. Let us pray once again. Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning because I'm going to talk about you. And Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit will fill this room. And I will fill our hearts and the hearts of all who are watching this message today. And Lord, I pray that you will give us hope through this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are many days to remember and even to celebrate in our life. Can you think of any day in your life that literally changed the course of your life? The same is true for the history of our country and surely for the history of the world. Where does your mind go when I say the day that changed the world? Nine eleven, 
What is 9-11? It is 9-1-1. When you type in Google, the day that changed the world, Google floods your screen with 9-11 events. What is 9-11? 9-1-1. It's a number, right? A 9-1-1 is an emergency number. It's also the day that is remembered by the world as a day of tragedy when terrorists literally flew planes into buildings. It is a day that made this world aware of the word terror in a new way. People moved from big cities to the country. People bought weapons. People stopped flying airplanes. Basically, people were afraid of things they never were afraid before. As the Bible says, in the last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear. Luke 21, 26. Is that the day that changed the world? Well, it certainly changed things. Governments took actions, made new laws. We let go of rights, right? 9-11. Is that the day that changed the world? Or could it be June 6, 1944? I don't know how many of you still know about that day. People who are in the military know. June 6, 1944, on that day, 160,000 Allied troops landed along a 50-mile stretch of heavily fortified French coastline to fight... Nazis, Germany, on the beaches of Normandy, France. General Dwight D. Eisenhower called that operation a crusade in which we will accept nothing less than full victory. More than 5,000 ships and 13,000 aircraft supported the D-Day invasion and by the end of the day, on June 6, the Allies had gained a foothold in Normandy. The D-Day cost was high. More than 9,000 Allied soldiers were killed or wounded that day. But the result of that day is that more than 100 Thousands soldiers began to march across Europe to defeat Hitler. Is June 6 the D-Day, the day that changed the world? And since we are at history, and since we as Seventh-day Adventists believe that United States plays an important role in Bible prophecy. Could it be that July 2nd, 1863 was the day that changed the world? You may have never thought about that day, did you? On July 2nd, 1863, Cardinal Lawrence Chamberlain was in the fight of his life. See, Chamberlain stood at the far left edge of a group of 80,000 men strung out in a line across fields and hills stretching all the way to a little town called Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Earlier that day, Cardinal Vincent placed 
Chamberlain and his men of the 20th Maine at the end of that lane and of that line, and he said this: "Whatever you do, you cannot let them come through here." And Chamberlain couldn't withdraw, and he knew it. If the Confederate army overran them, they would gain the high ground where they were, and the Union army would be quickly defeated. In essence, 80,000 men would be caught from behind on a downhill charge with no protection. In order to win, the Confederates would have to come through Chamberlain. And to make the long, intense story short, they were attacked several times that day. Each time Chamberlain lost men, but each time they caused the Confederates to retreat, pushing them down, down the hill, down the slope. On the fourth charge, the Confederates almost made it to the wall. See, this was a thick, high stack of flat rocks that ran 110 yards in length. And at the fifth time, fifth charge, more than half of Chamberlain's men were down. And now half of them are down. They have no ammunition. And they watched in terror the enemy forces regrouping and forming up again. And now the enemy forces were reinforced. The men who commanded him to line up where he was, Colonel Vinson, was dead. Now the enemy has started to come up the hill. Here they come! Here they come! Give an order! shouted his brother. Chamberlain stood there for a moment, deep in thought, thinking, quickly sorting out the situation. We can't retreat, he thought. We can't stay here when I'm faced with the choice of doing nothing or doing something. I always choose to act. He stood up on the wall, turned his back to the enemy, facing his men, and said, Fix your bayonets. And at first, no one moved. They just stared at him with their mouths open. Fix your bayonets now, he commanded again. Execute a great right will of the entire regiment, meaning charge. This is an all-out charge. What? They looked at him. What? A few men with no ammunition charging at literally hundreds of enemy thought troops? Chamberlain pointed out his sword directly downhill towards the enemy and shouted, Charge! 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 The remaining fighting men lifted their voices to match that of their leader. Charge! Charge! They shouted as they're about to make a story most people in our country don't even know. Or they never heard. When the Confederate troops saw Chamberlain climbing up that wall, 
they immediately stopped. They were unsure of what's happening. And when he pointed out his sword towards them and commanded his men to charge, they turned and ran. Many of them threw their loaded weapons. They were certain that most assuredly, Chamberlain was reinforced. They were certain that most assuredly, these were not the same men they fought all day. A beaten regiment would not charge if they were in their right mind. But in less than five minutes, Chamberlain had a Confederate captain as prisoner, and within five more minutes, this ragged group of 80 men under Chamberlain's command, without any ammunition, captured over 400 soldiers of the enemy. July 2nd, 1863. And here is what makes this story, this day, so important. Historians have determined that had Chamberlain or Chamberlain not charged that day, the Confederates would have won at Gettysburg. Further, historians tell us, had the Confederates won at Gettysburg, the South would have won the war, and the war itself would have been over by the end of that summer. Most people assume that had the South won the war, today we would exist as two countries at least, or as the historian insists, that if the South had won the war, we would now live in a territorial fragmented continent, much like Europe and North America would be divided in 9 to 13 countries. Which means, when Hitler swept across Europe in the 1940s, had Chamberlain not charged on that afternoon so long ago, there would not have existed a country as United States of America to stand the bridge. July 2nd, 1863. Is that the day that changed the world? And is that the man that made the world changed. As much as I want to believe that it is, there is actually a day that actually and literally changed the course of history. In fact, this one man, unlike Chamberlain, changed not only the history, but our calendars. He is Jesus. And his name is Emmanuel, God with us. Open with me your Bibles or your electronic devices in your Bible app to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. Luke 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. 
Blessed are you among women. Verse 29. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And Matthew, in his gospel, as he writes the story of Jesus' birth, he adds this, Matthew 1 verse 22 Matthew 1 verse 22 so all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet prophet Isaiah saying Matthew 1 23 behold the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Have you ever wondered why Matthew quoted Isaiah? He quoted the Old Testament, old prophet Isaiah. I believe Matthew, under divine inspiration, quoted Isaiah in the story of the baby Jesus because of the name of the child. What is the name Isaiah gives Jesus? Emmanuel, right? And he even translates it. He translates it because Emmanuel, translated God with us, is not just a name. Emmanuel is God's fulfilled desire. It is a concept that we many times don't realize and don't understand how important it is to God. Emmanuel is God with us. God with human beings. And Emmanuel is all through the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, Emmanuel is the ultimate hope for the Christian. If you read the story of creation, you most likely, if you read it, you most likely didn't miss the fact that God created humans, God created you and me in His image. He did not create anything else in his, in his image. Only humans. Only the man and the woman were created in God's image. And God loved them. God loved Adam and Eve. The Bible tells us that God would come in the evening, in the cool of the day, to fellowship and to spend time to be with Adam and Eve. That's in Genesis <clears throat> uh, uh, 3 8. God always wanted to be with us. God wanted Emmanuel from the beginning of creation. 
God wanted and enjoyed being with us. And then what? Then sin happened, Genesis 3. But God did not give up. Sin happened, and as the earth population increased, so sin increased and transgression increased. And God called on to people to commune with him, but no one would listen. Noah is the only one who listened, but after he died, people multiplied again, and transgression and sin multiplied again. The first cities of the world came into existence in the plains between Tigris and Euphrates, in what we call now Mesopotamia. And God called for people to commune with him. But rather than communing with him, they were running from him. One man in faith responded to him. And through him, through Abraham, God called a people of his own. And after his own people were delivered from Egypt, God asked Moses to build him a sanctuary among them. What was the reason? Exodus 25, verse 8. Exodus 25, verse 8. This is God instructing Moses. And he says this. And let them, let the people, let my people, make me a sanctuary that I may Dwell among them. Let them, let my people make me a sanctuary that I may Emmanuel. That I may dwell with them. God's desire is to dwell with his people. God's desire is to be with his people. God's desire is to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. John 1, verse 14. John 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of God. The Son of God, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, Emmanuel. Jesus, coming down from heaven. Jesus, the Word of God, who was one with God from the beginning. The one who created us. When they said, let us make humans after our own image. In Jesus God's desire was materialized, and he came to dwell with us, Emmanuel. He dwelt with Adam and Eve. God dwelt with his people in the wilderness and beyond. And then he dwelt among his people through Jesus. The day Jesus was born, 
did not only change history. The day Jesus was born did not only change our calendars, dividing history between B.C. and A.D. That's besides the point. The day Jesus was born, it was Emmanuel for God himself. He came to dwell with us because he desired that. He always desired that. And because he loved us so much, because God loves you so much, Paul tells us that Jesus said in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, Jesus, you all know this passage from... <coughs> From Matthew 28, Jesus, after commissioning his disciples for ministry, before going up to heaven, he said, I will Emmanuel always. I will be with you always. God in Jesus promised to be with us always. Jesus promised his disciples Emmanuel. And Jesus is promising us today Emmanuel. He promised to be with us. The question you may raise in your mind, how is Jesus with us today? How is God with us today? Jesus said in John 14, beginning with verse 16, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may, Emmanuel, he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. By you know him, for he dwells with you, Emmanuel, and he will be in you. He will Emmanuel with you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In other words, Emmanuel has not changed. God's desire to be with his people is now materialized through his Holy Spirit. And it will stay as such. For God's desire <coughs> is to be with his people. And it will be with his people for how long? Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning with verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. And with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Lee talked about some people who died. Well, the dead in Christ, those who died in the Lord will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall Emmanuel. We shall always be with the Lord. Jesus is coming so that he can be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Therefore, Paul concludes that passage, therefore comfort one another with these words. I tell you, to me, it's more than comfort. It's exciting. 
I feel like shouting to the world today and these days, Emmanuel, God is with us. He was Emmanuel, God with us in the Garden of Eden. He is Emmanuel, God with us in the wilderness. And He is Emmanuel, by the way, in your wilderness, in your wild and crazy world. He is Emmanuel for you. He is Emmanuel, God with us today through the Holy Spirit. And He will be Emmanuel, God with us at His second coming and beyond. Revelation 21 Revelation 21, this is past the millennium. This is after he has already picked up his people. Revelation 21, beginning with verse 3. This is when his kingdom is finally settled for eternity. Revelation 21, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man, and he will, Emmanuel, he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be Emmanuel with them, and be their God. And verse 4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, there shall be no more death, No sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. My friends, that's the ultimate Emmanuel experience. That's the ultimate hope. That is my hope, and I pray that Emmanuel is your hope today. When the world is running to and fro, when there is so much chaos and confusion, when there is so much pain, fear, and uncertainty, one thing is sure, my friend, Emmanuel, God is with us. God was Emmanuel with his people through the Red Sea. When the waters seemed to overwhelm them, when they saw no other direction, God was with them through the Red Sea. God was Emmanuel with the three young Hebrews, in the burning fiery furnace. Read that story in Daniel 3. He did not let them by themselves. God says, I am with you always. I am Emmanuel, God with us. God was Emmanuel with the three young Hebrews in the burning fiery furnace. God was Emmanuel with the early church and the persecuted church of the Reformation. And God is Emmanuel for you through this pandemic crisis. My friend, if you ever had any hope, Emmanuel is your hope. No matter what you're going through this season, I pray that you experience Emmanuel through his Holy Spirit this Christmas and this week. Emmanuel is the substance and the essence of our existence. And I hope that it brings joy to you this Christmas. Amen. Amen.